Hey, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, my name is Brady Sharp. I'm really glad to be with you today. Um, I'm glad that we're all here. Could, could we just take a moment? Like, would you do me a favor and just, just briefly, like, look around the room at the other people that are in this room? Because something is happening this morning. Um, th- th- this is the only time in human history that this exact group of people will be together in the same room. So, uh, so something monumental is happening. When, when this group of people is here today. So I'm really glad to be here with you um, when we're all in the same room together. And so I think today's going to be really great. I'm also really grateful for your church. As Jeremy mentioned, uh, he and the elders here and your church have just been an incredible support for us. Um, it's amazing to walk in and see our, our names and our faces on the wall over there, know that people think about us, know about us, or at least, at least walk by us uh, and that we exist, you know, like... Uh, so we're really grateful for that and just for the support that your church has been for us in Lawton. Um, and we love Lawton, but it's so good to also know um, that there are just other people in other places who are aware of us, thinking about us, and praying for us. And so um, I'm really grateful for that. Hey, I have a, like a confrontation before we get started. You know what a confrontation is? It's not always a conflict. It's just two people meeting face-to-face to say something that's true. So there's confrontation before we get started. I am originally from Texas. I'm a Texas guy. Um, and I know there's a few of you in here, and so I already feel a lot more um, protected and safe and secure, and uh, I'm really grateful for that. It does get worse. I went to a D2 university, but in terms of like rooting for D1 schools, I grew up as a fan of the Longhorns. I knew, I knew. Texas was, was one level, but then there's another level that I just can't go here. I know that, so that's why I had to tell you up front because I needed to get that out. Let me tell you briefly what it's like to be a Longhorn fan in the state of Oklahoma. Um, It is like uh, we have this innate sense of sports superiority, all while privately bemoaning the fact that we have to watch the Sooners year after year win conference championship. Um, It's miserable. Uh, It also is uh, like watching home games for the Longhorns in a stadium named after a famous Sooner. I don't, that's weird for me. Uh, and it's also like when I'm sitting in traffic and I'm behind one of those cars and you can tell that somebody has gone out to the store and purchased one of those Longhorn decals and then turned it upside down and put it on their window, that I'm sitting in traffic and I'm like, I wonder if they know where the money went for the decal that they bought. I'm like, well, I guess they got us, right? So that's what it's like being a Longhorn fan in Oklahoma and it's, it's really okay um, if you can take me, I can take being here, so, uh, I just, but I need to get that on the table before we go. I want to tell you a little bit about our story and about our church and, and about church planning. I'm going to try to wrap all this in together for us today. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about uh, my background and how we got where we are. And here's what I really want you to take from our story as much as anything, um, is that me and my wife, we both had an idea of what God, what we thought God wanted done, of what we thought needed to happen. And God used this series of just beautiful tragedies in our life to wreck that idea and then reshape it for what he really wanted. And so I want to tell you briefly about what that looks like. I grew up as the son of a pastor, which can be a curse word in certain contexts. I'm the grandson of a pastor. I have an uncle that's a pastor, and I have two cousins that are pastors. So when I'm 14 years old, sitting in a pew somewhere, um, I remember God like pulling in my heart and saying, uh, you know, drawing me to, to inviting me into using me and to be a part of what he was doing. And I remember distinctly telling God, okay, here's the thing, God, 
I will surrender to you. You do whatever you want with me. Just don't make me a missionary or a pastor. So if you know anything about church planting, the joke is definitely on me. That God's like, well, I'm going to do both of those things, actually. So get ready for that. So that's at 14. At 19, I knew that I was going to plant a church. But in all my 19-year-old wisdom, and no offense to any 19-year-olds in the room, you're already probably far wiser than I was at 19. But in all my wisdom at that stage, it was because I had decided that I was going to plant a church that was superior to the churches that I had been a part of. I had this great dissatisfaction for what was happening in the world and for the way that the church was engaging the world around me. That's probably also the reason that God waited 18 years to allow that thing to come to fruition, is to shape and mold that and to build some some wisdom that needed to be there, to pour that in, to restructure and reframe our ideas of what that needed to be. Um, But I knew that that was going to happen nonetheless, and that dissatisfaction was there for a reason. Little did I know that God had also been um, forming the same sort of dissatisfaction um, with this young woman who I had yet to meet. Um, And now she's my wife, but we were paralleling this. She knew she wanted to be a part of ministry. She knew um, that there was just more, that we wanted more out of life that she did. God really let our our stories converge at university. That's where we met and um, got a chance to know each other, got married later in life. And during this time frame, this is really where God began to really redefine what that dissatisfaction was. Because as a 19-year-old, I was looking at the church and dissatisfied with what I thought the church was doing. And then as the years began to come on, we realized that the dissatisfaction wasn't really with what was outside of us. The great dissatisfaction was what was inside of us. That, that we wanted more of how God had designed us, that we wanted to be used more for what God wanted in his world and in his creation and how he had designed us as his children to be part of that. We read that today um, in our confession and assurance that we were designed for good works ahead of time and we wanted that at every level. And we began to realize that that great dissatisfaction is because we wanted a more of the invitation that Jesus had already brought to us to be distinctly and purposefully involved in his kingdom and in what he had planned. We worked with university students for a while, which is why when I come to a place like uh, Norman, uh, it doesn't matter what colors uh, are worn or what symbols are there. Like we drive through town and I just, I love university students. God used us to, to work in the lives of university students and with a military context. God really shaped a lot of who we are and, and got us ready, honestly, f- uh, for being in a place like Lawton, Oklahoma. We had a really appealing opportunity. We thought we were gonna go plant a church in the great Northwest. That's what we thought we had in mind, Um, which, by the way, is nothing like Lawton, Oklahoma, just for the record. Can we just say that out loud? Um, And and, uh, there was a church that had been trying to put a satellite campus in Lawton, Oklahoma, and they approached us and said, hey, what would you think about, instead of going to Seattle, what would you think about planting a church in Lawton, Oklahoma? And I was like, do you want to know what I think about that, or are you asking me to legitimately consider that? And so they said, no, would you pray about it? And we're like, all right, we'll, I mean, we'll pray about it. We'll pray about anything. And uh, so we began to drive to Lawton, Oklahoma. We began to um, just pray and ask God, like, is this our city? Is this where you would have us? And um, uh, God really began to, to birth a love for us, uh, in us, for that city, for the city of Lawton, Oklahoma. And uh, so we, uh, we decided we were going to move and plant a church there. And so we began to take the steps that were necessary. Now, here's where... Um, things get messy because we had in our mind what that was going to look like, how we were going to approach this, and what we were going to do. Um, my wife uh, was uh, pregnant with our daughter at the time. Uh, I'll show you a picture of that in a minute. 
and uh, of our daughter, not of her being pregnant with our daughter. That was weird. Uh, and uh, so in, in March of 2017, we were getting ready, gearing up to move to Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, and uh, my daughter was born through an emergency situation. And nine days later, I jumped on an airplane to fly to Atlanta to go through a church planter uh, training course. Now, by the way, it was my wife's idea for me to go ahead and go nine days after an emergency delivery of our daughter. And if you have any questions about our marriage, we're still married. So things are going pretty well, considering that I practically abandoned her nine days after the birth of our daughter. Um, I got back. This was in March. I got back. Um, and then uh, a few weeks later, I took the whole family. We got on a plane and flew back to Atlanta to meet with a group of church planning families. Uh, my daughter was five weeks old at the time. We get back um, in April. A good friend of mine died of lung cancer, so we drive to West Texas for his funeral. In May, a good friend of mine in West Texas gets married. We drive to West Texas for that. In June, my grandfather died, and so we spent a ton of time with our family in that. In July, we finally got to make the move to Lawton, Oklahoma. And then in August, we decided Hey, we are going to go um, get away. We go to the mountains in New Mexico for this, like we've had this crazy season of just so much. Um, by the way, we get to New Mexico. My daughter's five months old, and she's traveled over 5,000 miles already at this point in her life. Uh, she was a trooper. We felt every single mile of that. She did great. Um, and so we go to the mountains to get some rest and get ready, and we come back, and two weeks later in September, I was diagnosed with stage three uh, colon cancer. And so um, two months after we got on the ground, like our, all of our plans for what we thought God was going to do were completely gone. In fact, our whole first year there, uh, September, I had surgery to remove the, the cancer. In October, I had the port put in. In November, I began chemo. And really, our whole first year there was not about like thriving and building this groundwork for God was going to do. It was just, just trying to stay alive. It was just survival. That's all it was. But little did we know that this was exactly what God had in mind to break down what we thought needed to happen and really shape and form in us what he wanted to have happen. Um, in fact, uh, it was during chemo that I'll distinctly remember some friends of ours from Texas approaching my wife and they're like, now that all this has happened, do you, you guys going to move back home? And my wife said, I don't think you understand. We, we are home. And it's not that I ever doubted that she thought we were in the right place, but it, it just solidified in me um, that this is where God had had us. That if this is, um, we'd, came, we'd come not only to give our lives, but if that meant the end of our lives, that that's where we were and what we had been called there to do. And so um, we, we really uh, saw God do some incredible things during that year. I would think uh, on the weeks that I was just sick and couldn't even get out of bed, um, I would think, I really need to call so-and-so, or I really need to do this thing. And inevitably, that person would call me, or someone else would take care of that. And it was the whisper as if the Spirit of God were saying, let me remind you, this is my church, it's not yours. This is my mission, it's not yours. Um, I'll do this. Um, I, I have invited you to do this, but I don't have to have you do it. And it's a beautiful reminder that this was a, an invitation from God to to us, to join him in something that was far greater. It's what we'd asked him for, right? We wanted more. And so God had invited us into that time frame, invited us into doing something that was greater. We've been there almost four years. Um, if you don't mind, we just put the picture of our family up. 
Um, that's me. Uh, that's my fault, by the way. I was supposed to refer to that picture earlier. Um, this was us at Advent. We've changed a little bit. I have shaved my beard since then. By the way, our four-year-old daughter said I should grow it back because I look like a monster without it. So for what that's worth, uh, she's, she does not mince words. Uh, so this is our family, our oldest, 10, 8, and 4, and then my wife, Melissa. This is back from Advent. We've been uh, there four years. Uh, the church is about two and a half years old now, and um, it doesn't look at all like what we thought it was going to. Um, but God really invited us into something that was bigger and better than we could have imagined or ever thought from the very beginning. Lawton is not the most attractive city. We've already covered that. Um, people are not just dying to go to Lawton. Uh, pardon the expression. But there are some beautiful things about Lawton. Did you know that Lawton is the 10th most diverse city in the nation per capita? Did you also know that Lawton is 90% unchurched? Lawton is probably the least Oklahoma city in Oklahoma. And when people ask, why in the world would you plant a church in Lawton? I always say, that's why. Because people aren't beating down the doors to go there, um, but there are people all over that city who desperately need Jesus. So that's why we're going, because somebody's got to. Uh, and not got to, we, we want to. That's why we're there. Um, our name, Credence, uh, it's a Puritan name, by the way. Um, it's not named after the band from the 60s, in case you're wondering. I know, I know you were thinking it. Um, if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's not a character for Harry Potter. I get that too. Um, it is, is a named after a Puritan name. Um, it also refers to being a creedal people, people who have creeds. Um, but credence is literally to have a belief in something. Um, we use it as like a statement of evidence that this gives credence to that. And the reason that we, that we named it that is that we constantly wanted to remind ourselves that who we are is formed by who Jesus is um, and that everything that we do, we want to give evidence of that belief that we have. We want everything that's lived out of us to be um, evidentiary, to, be, uh, to give credence to what we say. And backstories like that are really important. We put a lot of emphasis and credence on stories, people's stories, um, on the story of our church and how it came about. Um, I put a lot of emphasis on my backstory um, because you, you just learn things about me that you didn't know that frame in your mind images of how God has shaped me to this point. Well, I think it's also really important to look at the backstory of how the church came about. Not credence, but Jesus' church. And so what I want us to do today is like in light of um, the thoughts on church planting, what God is calling um, what God has called us to, what God is calling his church to in general. I'd like for us to just look at a little bit of the backstory, if you will, of the church. Uh, if you've got a copy of God's word, go to John chapter one, please. And we're gonna, um, we're gonna take a look at a, a big chunk of John chapter one today. Here's really what I want you to get from this today. And, um, and we're going to move through these scriptures pretty quickly. Um, so I want to give you some, this is like overview. I want you to zoom out from John 1 for a minute and think about some really critical things. And here are the two things I want you to see all throughout um, the first chapter of John. There's a constant reiteration of the proclamation of Jesus, of declaring this is Jesus, and of the constant invitation of, of come to Jesus. And of why that matters. And so that's, 
That's what I hope that you will take from this today. It's the reason that we're in Lawton, Oklahoma, planting a church today. John chapter 1 in the first verse says this, And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything um, made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you get in John chapter 1, the first five verses, you get this great statement. By the way, the word word here is referencing Jesus. You can look this up in Revelation chapter 19 if you want to see some correlation of how that comes around later. Um, This is talking about Jesus. And so in John 1, 1 through 5, you get this great statement, this profound um, picture that Jesus is eternal. He's with God. He is God. He's part of creation. He is all-powerful. He's mighty. um, And this is who he is. Um, In verses 6 through 8, you get, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about that light. So you get a guy whose job is the proclamation, the declaration, the the notification, that's all my Asians today, of uh, notifying of who Jesus is. He's the one who's sent to tell about who this person Jesus is. So you get this picture of Jesus. You get someone whose job is to tell people about Jesus. And then look in verse 14. It's not just an idea. It's not just a a principle or a theory. John 1, 14 says this, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so now we don't just get a picture that Jesus is eternal and he's a creator and he's almighty and that somebody has come to talk about him. You get the reality that Jesus was real and in the flesh and a person and dwelt among these people. And so John, who's recording this, um, is, is saying, hey, here's who he is. Here's what um, is being said about him. And by the way, it's not a myth. He's the real deal. He's a real person. John is the witness of that. But look at what happens after there's a, a proclamation this, uh, in the book of John. Hey, here's who Jesus is, and here's who sent him, and he's the real thing. Look at what starts to unfold um, through this picture. This won't be on your screens today. Um, but in verse 24, uh, excuse me, verse 29, it says, The next day, he, John the Baptist, JTB, if you need to uh, abbreviate that, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John is, is proclaiming Jesus. It's a proclamation. Hey, here he is. He's not just a theory. Um, I didn't just come to teach you about something. He's in the flesh. And by the way, on this next day, here he is. He's a real person. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he's going to tell them, hey, I came to talk about this guy, Jesus. Now, look in verse 35. I love how John gives us sequence here. So that was on the next day. Now look in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked uh, at Jesus as he walked by. So now Jesus is walking by and he says, behold the Lamb of God. So he says it again. Then the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said, what are you seeking? He's asking a question. He's drawing them in. There's an invitation here. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And there's an invitation. Come and see. Don't just hear about it. Don't just hear someone else say, but come in for yourself. See for yourself. So they came and they saw where they were staying. And he stayed, they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of those two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, was, uh, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. There's an, a proclamation and an invitation. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's so much happening in just these verses. So within the series of just a couple of days, the, the proclamation of Jesus has happened. He's in the flesh. We know that. John has pointed him out as a real person. He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's called him the Lamb of God twice. But I want you to see what happens specifically in these passages. First of all, the two people that he references here are Simon, Peter, and Andrew. By the way, this is the same Peter who's later in Acts going to stand before all of his Jewish brothers and proclaim Jesus in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And they're going to be cut to their heart and they're going to profess Jesus as who he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the same guy. And Simon invites him into this after proclaiming, this is, uh, excuse me, Andrew says, this is, this is Messiah. By the way, this is the guy that we have been reading about and hearing about forever. He's real. He's in the flesh. He's here. And I want you to come and see him. And look at how the progression of this, like the backstory of the church is um, this, this proclamation and invitation into the person, the real person of Jesus. And, and now you have two of the original 12 apostles are right here at the invitation and the proclamation of Jesus from John the Baptist in the flesh. And so what's going to be set in motion later in the book of Acts is actually unfolding and framing up right here before our eyes in John 1. This beautiful picture of Jesus' constant invitation to come in for more. It's, it's, um, it's part of our story. It's us as young 20-something-year-olds being greatly dissatisfied um, and not because we haven't heard truth and not because we haven't experienced it. And I praise God for where we came from. Like uh, We were led to Jesus uh, in, in churches that we worked in that were uh, and, and a part of that were uh, maybe not, not places we would go back to. But we're grateful for those things. But this dissatisfaction wasn't because of that. It's because we wanted the actual person of Jesus at work at the molecular level of our hearts. And now here is Simon Peter who's going to be used greatly of Jesus and deny him all like this beautiful misery um, and, and, uh, and incredible acts of God worked out. This is, this is Peter right here. And we're seeing it unfold before our eyes. There's a couple of other things I want you to see here. Listen to what happened back in verse 35 here. It says that John was standing with two of his disciples. These two disciples, Andrew and Simon Peter, were John's disciples first. When he points them to Jesus, they literally physically follow Jesus. The next group of church planters is not out there at the seminary somewhere. 
the next group of church planters is, is inside Providence Road. They're your disciples. They're not just inside Prov Road. They're, they're inside your MCs. They're not just inside your MCs. They're inside your fight clubs. By the way, are we allowed to talk about this here? I don't know how deep that cultural reference runs, so I don't want to break the first rule. Um, they're there. They're already like being prompted and prepped by the Spirit of God. Um, if they're redeemed people of Jesus, they're, they're here. And then they're, the next group of church planters is in your home. And it might be you. Maybe not the lead person, maybe a team member, but they're not out there somewhere. They're, they're the ones who are already the disciples. That's where they are. And, and by the way, this is what um, God's people are called to. This is the work that God has called them to. Because it says in verse 37, um, when he says, behold, the lamb, the two disciples heard him, and then they, they followed Jesus. There's some people in your MCs. There's some people in Prov Road. There's some people in your home who need a nudge to follow what the Spirit of God is already at work doing in them. And that's to go be a part of the proclamation of Jesus and the invitation to him. And that may even be like, that may be that, that it's you um, and it may be that it's your neighbors who deeply need um, an invitation, not just an invitation to show up here on Sunday mornings, but an invitation into your life where the Spirit of God lives and works and dwells in you. Um, it may be that that invitation is, is to see and experience the fullness and the depth of the beauty of this amazing creator and, and almighty Jesus worked out through your own lives. Uh, I don't know what that is for you, but it's incredible to think that they were already in work here. Now, let's press on. Look in verse 43. Here we go. Here's the chronology again. The next day, look at what all is happening. These are potent things in just a few days. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. There's an invitation. It's a direct. He looks at Philip, and he says, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Stop there for just a minute. So Jesus invites Philip in directly, and Philip goes to Nathanael, and he says, we found him. You know the guy that we've read about from the prophets forever? Stop and think about the significance of what this meant in the cultural world for them. That they have waited hundreds of years. That picture I put up of our family was from Advent. Um, Advent just reminds us of, of the long wait for the arrival of Jesus on the earth and then, and then the wait for him to come back again. This was the group of people who got to experience live that Jesus, the one that had been written about and talked about for generation after generation after generation, Philip's like, we found him, the real guy, and he's here. I mean, it's the, in Nathaniel's life, it's the most significant thing he's ever heard to this date. Jesus is here, Messiah. He's come. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen to what Nathaniel says. Hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
By the way, this makes me feel so good because this is what I feel like people say to me when I tell them I'm from Lawton. They're like, oh, Lawton. Sorry, bro. I'm like, okay. But I also want you to see the beauty of this. That it's unexpected that Jesus would have come from a place like Nazareth, a no-name, no-count city. It's why there are places like Lawton that maybe you wouldn't take your family vacation, although there's some pretty places up north in Medicine Park, so you can come there sometime and I'll take you around. We'll get some good tacos. That not only do those places matter and those people matter, but Jesus himself actually appears in a place like that that's the least expected place for you to go or think about or care about. And by the way, um, lest you throw any shade on Nathaniel, that's my people right there, the, the natural-born doubters and skeptics. That's me. I get it. Nazareth? You're going to tell me that this guy that we heard about forever, he's going to come out of Nazareth? I don't buy it. Look at what happens next. So Jesus, uh, so he says then, uh, well, come and see. Here's Philip's invitation. And Jesus of Nazareth walking toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I love this. Jesus is not thrown off by this. He's like, here's a guy who's not, like, he's not trying to posture. He's just telling it like it is. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And there's so much beauty in this passage that I don't have too much time to go into, but here's a couple of things I want you to see. That even with the doubter and the skeptic, that Jesus just invited him even further in. And then there's another thing I want you to see here. That, that Philip, uh, excuse me, that Jesus says to Nathaniel, hey, before you came to see me, I saw you. And I don't, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I just want to remind you that God sees you. Even if you don't think you can see him sometimes, God sees you. There's a young lady working in a restaurant here whose name is Melissa, and I got a chance to tell her that yesterday. Yeah, I'm so sorry for what's going on, but God sees you. That matters, that God can see him ahead of time. Nathaniel isn't convinced that he would come from that sort of place. He's a doubter and a skeptic, and yet Jesus continues to invite him even deeper in to see this. And he says, not only do you believe now that I'm the son of God, but you're going to see even greater things than these. And he's going to say, the invitation is now open um, for greater things than what you've experienced before this. By the way, not a single church has been planted at this point in time. This is the birth, this is the uh, the. Uh, before the church even comes about. And yet, every church that you have ever been a part of, every church that you're, this church, and every church that you will be a part of later, finds its roots and bases here. In fact, listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says in verses 19 and 20. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And you just got to see a third of the original apostles in one chapter in three days, being invited in by Jesus. 
proclamation of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus. I want to just remind you, those of you in the room that are redeemed by Jesus, you are called to be part of the church planting process. Always. If there's never a day that you're not called into being a part of what Jesus is doing through his church right now. Always. And that may not always mean like you go out and plant a church, but it means that you're supporting, you're participating, and that you are the, doing the work of the churches that have been planted. I want you to see the importance of this proclamation invitation. And I'll, I'll run through these briefly, but just look back at this overview in John chapter 1 of how many times this comes up. John 1, 6 through 8. We read this a minute ago. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness. He's proclaiming. Look in verse 15. We did not read this one. Uh, John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This is, uh, was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John's saying Jesus was around long before I was, um, and he's better than I. Look in verse 20. He says this, John says, he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. He came not to proclaim himself, he came to proclaim Jesus. Look in verse 23, it says this, uh, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. It's the proclamation, proclamation. Look at verse 27, he says this, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He's talking about the greatness of God, the proclamation of Jesus. Look at verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. It's the proclamation. So in case you missed it, this runs deep. Look in verse 39. He says, uh, he said to them, Come and see. And you see this invitation. Come and see. Come, and you will see, he said. Look at verse 41. He first found his own brother. This is uh, Andrew. And he says, we found the Messiah. Invitation. Come and see. Look in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are the son of John. Uh, and you shall be called Cephas. This is invitation into relationship. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus went to Galilee. He found Philip and he said, follow me. It's an invitation. Look at verse 45 and verse 46. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Galilee? And Philip said, come and see. He said, we found Jesus of Nazareth. Instant um, proclamation and invitation. And I don't know today like what the invitation for you is specifically, but I know that there are some invitations here for you. Um, I want to tell you that Church planting is not a threat. Like a 14-year-old sitting in a pew is like, ah, it's not a threat. It's an invitation. Like when we look back over the, the tragic things that happened in that, in that five-month window of our life, I would never, ever want to do that again. But I would never walk it back. Because what God did was invite us deeper and deeper at every level to enjoy the greatness and the beauty of Jesus as we get a chance to proclaim him to the people around us. And Jesus in your life is constantly inviting you deeper and deeper and deeper. If you're a Jesus follower, it may be that today, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world uh, might be the invitation that, that just to be reminded 
this is the Lamb of God who takes away all your sin. The invitation for you, maybe Andrew saying to Peter, um, that, that there's good news that, that maybe we've forgotten, but Jesus is here to work this out. It may be Philip saying to Nathaniel, hey, Jesus of Nazareth um, is here. And maybe you're a skeptic and a doubter and you're not really sure. And so the invitation today is, hey, come and you'll see for yourself. Maybe the invitation is to see greater things, that you've, you've experienced greater things. And maybe the invitation is just the constant one, to come and die to self and, and experience even greater things from Jesus. The invitation of God may be to go to a place like Nazareth that you normally wouldn't go or to Lawton. Hey, regardless, I want you to know that there's an invitation before you to come deeper into who Jesus is and into what he's doing. Hey, Jesus, the eternal God, is real, he's come in the flesh, and then he's left his spirit, who Jesus said will never go away. So you're not doing this on your own. Whatever that space of invitation is for you today, in the proclamation of Jesus, step into it. Will you bow with me? Let's pray.